and welcome to the first episode of the sixth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Cassine Gaines. Cassine is an author and journalist whose work has appeared in Rolling Stone and Vanity Fair. He holds an MA from Rutgers University in American Studies, focusing on racial representations in popular culture, and he is the award-winning author of several books that explore the lasting impact of significant moments in art and entertainment, including Footnotes, The Black Artist Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way, and When Broadway Was Black, the triumphant story of the all-black musical that changed the world, coming out on February 7th, 2023. We're going to talk today about that all-black musical from When Broadway Was Black, UB Blake, Noble Sissel, Flournoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles' Shuffle Along. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, well, let's get started with the get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? So my first experience on Broadway was either, it's so funny because for years, I can't remember which was first. It was either seeing Aida or it was seeing Bernadette Peters in Gypsy. And I'm pretty sure it, it was Bernadette Peters, or that was the one that really hit for me. <laughs> if it wasn't the first one, they were they were um, one right after the other. And what's amazing is um, I now love Gypsy so much. It's, it's probably my favorite musical, but at the time I was completely unfamiliar with the story. I known some of the songs just from hearing them. Um, but I think I was so floored at the end of act one um, that I, I couldn't even imagine like what's going to happen in act two. I was like just captivated. And Bernadette Peters is just obviously uh, an amazing um, performer to see. But I remember the entire cast being really, really good. And I've seen so many of the people in that cast in other productions since um, really seeking them out actually, because I enjoyed them so much in Gypsy. So that was probably my, if not my first time, definitely the first time that um, a Broadway musical really caught me. What is the last great musical you saw? So the last great musical I saw was A Strange Loop. Um, I saw A Strange Loop twice. And the first time I saw it, I really loved it. But you know, I was in the mezzanine and it's, you know, I'm not like, um, maybe I am, maybe I'm a little bit of like a seat snob. So like, I, I kind of, I wish I was a little bit closer <laughs> and then, uh, but I loved it. You know, it was one of those things where as it was, um, as the show was going on, I really enjoyed it and really was trying to just sort of like keep up with everything. You know, it causes you to think so much and all the lyrics are also, um, just really introspective and it wasn't really until I got home and started reflecting on the show and um, I don't even think the the Broadway soundtrack was out the the off-Broadway soundtrack was out but I don't think the Broadway soundtrack was out yet and um, going back and listening to it and 
reading the lyrics and reading the book. And I was just like, wow, this show has so, so much going on. Um, this was before the show had won the Tony. So I was really, I was rooting for it. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go back right after Thanksgiving and I was in the, the literal second row and I was just completely immersed in the narrative. And I, I, you know, I felt like I caught every single word and every, you know, eyebrow raise and every, <laughs> like all of the blocking and choreography and characterization, like everything just hit so, so much. And um, I just think it's such an important show because the exceptional thing about this show is that it isn't what looks like or sounds like, you know, your quote unquote typical Broadway show. You know, it's so different in so many aspects, but I love that it exists and that it's so incredibly good and that it's been celebrated in the way that it has been. And I'm so sad that it's closing as early as it is. Um, but I really look forward to what everyone associated with A Strange Loop does moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And that just made me think like, now that it's closing, I hope that, you know, with subsequent performances of it, you know, it gets to be in kind of smaller spaces. So, mm -hmm. is it so we get kind of that intimate experience with it, or people can get that intimate experience with it too, the way, you know, you got in the second row and it definitely has a different effect when you're so close to it, I think. You just really want to be as close to the action as possible. Um, and I don't even mean physical proximity. I just mean in terms of like being fully absorbed in all of it. And I, I agree, this is something that I, I hope, um, gets licensed out for amateur productions. I hope that this is done in community theaters and small spaces and there are stage readings and things like that. I mean, it's just a show that really deserves to live on. Yeah, it's so interesting, just as an aside, like when I first started this podcast almost five years ago now, A Strange Loop had just been announced in 2018 for Off-Broadway the following year. And the, if you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes of the podcast, everybody's talking about A Strange Loop coming. <laughs> even then so it's just nice like to think about like for five years we've been talking about a strange loop on this podcast which is kind of a nice thing it's a strange loop isn't it i know right? <laughs> what's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised funnily enough i actually was just having a conversation with someone um this week who said that they were surprised that I love Hello Dolly. Um, and so like, I don't, I, I don't know why they were surprised, but um, in thinking about it, I think I tend to really love musicals that are um, a little bit darker, I guess, you know, like I, I don't, um, and I, I don't think I'm, I'm conscious of it, <laughs> like, but, but Hello Dolly is just like a nice, you know, cheery, like there's no, dark subplot there's no real threat in it you know um it's it's a wonderful story and it's a fun story but i i tend to skew more to things like um that are, i guess dark isn't even like necessarily the word i guess just like more um substantive in terms of like what the show is saying maybe mm -hmm. that's a fair way to put it and yeah. so that's certainly not a knock on Hello Dolly. I don't think that the, you know, the book writers feel like it's a, that's a heavy musical. Um, but that seems to be more what I skew towards. 
Yeah. But I I love everything about Hello Dolly, and I think that every production of it is is beautiful. <laughs> so, um, so Hello Dolly is a show that I really love, and um, maybe a little bit out of my wheelhouse. What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? The cheesy answer I, I want to give is like shuffle along. I mean, at the moment, <laughs> um, and 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 honestly, and it's funny because um, I mean, it's a little bit of a cop out answer, but I think I've just fallen in love so much with not just the history of the show, but also the show itself. The more <laughs> time that I've spent in the show, yeah. and. Um, it's funny because I think even people who really love Shuffle Along, I feel like always sort of give a little bit of short shrift to like the book. Like it's always kind of like, oh, well, like it was a really thin book or like, you know, it's not really, but, you know, to read through the script, um, you know, Miller and Lyles who wrote the book for Shuffle Along, it's so witty and clever and um in a lot of ways although the presentation of the show wasn't always um progressive or certainly not you know by modern standards Mm -hmm. but the the book itself is so incredibly progressive um there was a suffragette character there was a flapper character um obviously it's a it's a jazz score um there it's it centers on a a mayoral election in an all black town. Um, so there's just, there's just a lot going on in this story. And um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's such a cop-out, but it's a sincere answer. I have to go with shuffle along 1921 style. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state that you didn't think was possible to get to? Um, Rose's turn. Mm-hmm. in Gypsy, which I, I know it's a, um, it's a pop, I'm sure it's a popular <laughs> answer, a popular moment, but um, boy, oh boy. I mean, that's, that's a, a moment where I, I love being surprised by that. Like I've seen so many productions of it. I've seen so many people do it. And I think there are so many ways to elicit um, a true, reaction from the audience in that moment it, it, it you know gets me and the other the other thing that's sort of coming to mind is in in the heights um a moment that always like catches me and i and i know it's coming and i don't even know why it like catch you know when it's the lyric i think it's it's sung yeah it's sung by um abuela and it's it's the the lyric where the audience finds out that she won, that she had the winning lottery ticket. And like, you know, just the music come down. Like, it's always just like the delivery of that and the composition of the the song um, is just so pitch perfect to just like kind of catch you um, because it's a, the emotional roller coaster of like all these characters, like playing the lottery and like, you know, like, having their hopes and dreams tied up in it and like also being kind of like stuck. Um, and it's, it's great that like, there's, it's that little glimmer of, of hope again, you know, in this moment. Um, so yeah, so that's another moment that really, I think um, sticks the landing for me emotionally when it, when it comes up. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our topic, which we've already sort of 
started talking about in these questions, but we're going to talk about Shuffle Along, um, the musical from 1921, and your book about that musical. You had a book last year and a book this year with a different title, I think. So um, if you want to just uh, go into a little bit about, about that, just so we, we make sure we know which to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> sure, of course. So um, so the book was released in hardcover in May of 21, um, right for the centennial of Shuffle Along. It was called Footnotes. And um, what ultimately ended up happening was when we were preparing for the paperback edition of the book, um, it was such a unique time that we were finalizing the hardcover because Broadway was still dark. Um, the last chapter of the book kind of did a big pull forward to look at um, diversity and representation on Broadway today. And yet, in a, in some ways, it felt very kind of open-ended um, because I didn't totally know what Broadway was going to look like when Broadway reopened. Um, I never could have imagined... When, I, when we were putting the finishing touches on footnotes that by the time the book was out, Broadway, I think Broadway had just opened like a week prior. Like it was like, I couldn't believe it. So when the paperback was being readied, um, I really wanted to kind of go back into the book and change some things and, and add some things. And also I just thought a little bit differently about some things. Um, and I asked if we could expand it mm -hmm. and they allowed me to and i i did this thing that i do too often in life where i said like i think i just want to you know add a couple of pages and then i added like 10 pages to the ending and then i threw out some pages to the ending and then i wrote a new introduction and then the the bulk of the book we were going to leave untouched but then I wanted to add a little bit here and add a little bit there and add a little bit there. So, so the way that I sort of describe um, when Broadway was black is that it's sort of like the special edition mm. of footnotes. You know, it's um, if you have footnotes and, you know, you enjoy that story of, you know, that history of shuffle along, there is even more of that in the paperback. Um, but if you don't have the hardcover, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, the, the paperback is sort of the definitive version because it's it's so packed, but also I think it really um, has a real conversation with the state of Broadway today and doesn't just look at the show as sort of this time capsule piece, but as this um, part of a continuing conversation about racial representation mm -hmm. um, and, and just... Um, the importance of historical memory mm -hmm. in in theater as well. Mm. Can you say more about historical memory in theater and and what you mean by that in terms of I guess in terms of this uh, of shuffle along, but maybe also in general. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting about theater, and not just theater, but like art needs to be experienced in order for it to live, <laughs> you know? Um, it's sort of the um, the equivalent of like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to, to see it or hear it, 
Um, and so when I think about 1921 Shuffle Along, it's interesting because while a number of people have done really great painstaking historical um, research to reconstruct the libretto of that show and all of the orchestrations from that show, um, that's all very, very recent work. And also it's work that was cobbled together through a number of sources. And I don't think anyone can say very confidently that what people have reconstructed is the way Shuffle Along was on opening night or on closing night, because, you know, the creators of the show changed the show all the time. It's not like today where you have previews and then a show is frozen. I mean, there was no such thing. So, um, so they just changed the show often. And so, you know, number one, when you have a show that's over a hundred years old, you have a show that has no published book. You have a show that predates original cast recordings. Um, you have um, a show where, you know, anyone who was um, alive at the time of the original Broadway production has since passed on. It, it makes it, you have very limited photography. It's all studio photography, you know, from that show. It makes it easy for that show to sort of be lost to time. And actually there's a really interesting um, anecdote that is not in um, the book, but in my research, I found a letter from Floyd Miller, one of the book writers to UB Blake, the composer. And it was from the early 1950s, maybe 19, uh, actually, I think it was the late 1950s, but he was lamenting that there was a book that had come out called, I think, just musical theater. And it was a history of musical theater. And in that book, um, it said that Shuffle Along ran for 43 performances and was a minor hit on Broadway. And, you know, the the writers and creators were still very much so alive, all of them, you know. Um, uh, well, Aubrey Lyles wasn't alive, but they were, you know, the other three were alive and were able to sort of correct the record, but they didn't, but the book had been published, you know, right. the book had been published and that was a, a definitive history. Um, and so the ways in which shows sort of live on, even, you know, obviously today is through recordings, through soundtracks. I mean, everyone in the United States or around the world who has wanted to experience Hamilton has experienced Hamilton, even if they are nowhere near New York City yeah. um, or have seen it at a national tour. And so What's interesting about Shuffle Along is there was the 1921 production. There was the 1933 production, which was incredibly short-lived. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, in fact, it was Shuffle Along of 1933. It opened in 1932 in anticipation of running through 1933. <laughs> and it closed before 1933, actually. It was that short-lived of a show. Um, and then there was Shuffle Along of 1952, which ran for four performances oh on God. Broadway. And then there was nothing else um, until George C. Wolfe's Shuffle Along in 2016. And what's interesting about the historical memory of that show is that there is no cast recording. There is no video recording besides what you can access at Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. um, there is no published libretto. There, you know, um, it's like, 
it, it's it's there it was only it only ran for a hundred performances, right. nominated for ten Tony Awards, but having the great misfortune of coming out in the year where it was up against Hamilton, and so it's it's phenomenal to me as I talk about this book and talk about Shuffle Along. Um, oftentimes, when I'm not on you know, talking to theater people, people right. will say things like, oh, well, you know, do you think it will ever come back on Broadway? You know, I, I can't believe I never heard of it. And it's it's almost amazing. Um, it's sad that the show, um, to people in the know, you know, to theater people that had the opportunity to see Shuffle Along in 2016, I think most people really enjoyed it and revered it. And, you know, um, I mean, you can't, you can't, get a better cast than than, yeah. than that cast. Um, but boy, if you didn't see one of those hundred shows, did right. it even happen? Right. You know, and, and that's really the, the sort of sad thing. And so um, one of the, the, the sort of through lines for me with this book and why the original hardcover was entitled footnotes was because I just was so amazed at, how prolific this show was and how um, known it was and celebrated it was. You know, it, it quite literally was the Hamilton of the 1920s. And yet, um, I think we have this, this tendency to believe that all of our really significant art will always last. That 50 years from now, people will remember who the Beatles were. Right. Maybe, maybe not. You know, that a hundred years from now, people will remember Hamilton. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, now it's so well documented, probably so, but um, it's a, if a show like Shuffle Along could be lost to time, mm -hmm. then what other things existed that were also great or important or significant in some way that have also been lost to time and perhaps not even uncovered yet. Right. Um, so yeah, so the book is sort of a, a little bit of an exploration of that that mm -hmm. question as well, I yeah. think. Yeah, it's interesting because I've often thought about this, especially with, with theater. And I think um, it's, to me, it's not, it's almost not enough to be documented. You, ha you also have to be documented in the, the materials of the time to like of the current time to be mm -hmm. thought of in that time like nowadays like if we stopped having means to you know play movies or whatever then all the movies would be <laughs> would be lost and it's like nowadays if you don't have a wikipedia article about something it's like possible nobody would know it exists because that's you know how we find things today so it's like yeah. It's not, it's almost like it's not so much to be documented, but there have to be people who are invested in preserving that documentation, like through time to make mm -hmm. sure it's, to make sure it's being accessed in the materials of the current era. So it's well, like a huge undertaking. And, and I guess it's, it's one of those things where it's also made me wonder a lot about what what then is really disappearing, you know? And I know this is sort of like a weird, like, you know, metaphysical sort of thing, but I think about like, if just using the 2016 shuffle along, for example. So like if, if the 2016 shuffle along existed and, you know, it's not well documented, maybe people don't know it existed, fine. You know, that, that is what that is. But 
from that, you got things like Broadway Advocacy Coalition, you know, that these that that comes out of these performers that that met mm. having done Shuffle Along. Um, yeah. You get things like Adrian Warren, you know, going on to do, you know, Tina and getting a Tony for that and going on to do then the Till film, uh, the, um, the, the miniseries and things like that. Like, if, if these people that were associated with this production were changed by having done this production, um, that does count for something, even if the production itself has been lost. If there is a historian looking back and is like, well, how did this person get here? What was the turning point? And then, then it has to lead back. They'll have to discover there was a shuffle along of, you know, in 2016, that was a turning point for these things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a shame in a sense that, that you, um, that things have to be rediscovered. <laughs> you know, it's a shame. It's a shame in a sense that, you know, that this 2016 show, um, it already has to be rediscovered. You know, they're like, there's already, you know, I like in an archeological sort of sense, there's already, sand and dirt on top of that you know on top of that show and someone has to go dig it up one day proper but um but it is still better that it has existed you know and i think that's sort of the the great thing and look i i really um i i got to know noble sissel jr um, over the course of writing my book, and he is the son of the lyricist Noble Sissel, who from from Shuffle Along, and you know one of the things that he really expressed to me was like never, never believing that his dad's work would ever be archived and celebrated and contextualized in a five hundred page book, you know, like just in going going his entire life. Um, knowing how important his dad was to musical theater history and believing that he would never live to see, um, you know, just, just a proper accounting of it. And so that's, that's sort of the work that, that I pursued with this and, and the work that I think so many people are doing, um, theater historians, you know, are doing to, to keep this record alive because, Theater is unique in that way. You know, it's not always accessible. In fact, for very good, you know, legal reasons, it's often, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't document it in the same way. Right. You know? right. So, Yeah. And I guess, you know, we were talking about revivals. I guess, you know, revivals are one way that shows continue to be thought of and remembered and along with uh, cast albums. So if, if Shuffle Along stopped, had had not successful revivals and then stopped being revived, it makes sense how that could also contribute to it being lost in in memory from for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well let let's actually talk more about this the the plot or the story of Shuffle Along. Just we we sort of talked about it, um, about, you know, it's a a mayor <laughs> being elected in this in this town, but but what else is going on uh in the story? Sure. So, um, so the story of Shuffle Along is a centered on a three-way mayoral race, and two of the candidates are business owners of the same business. They're business partners. They own a grocery store, and they are both um, duplicitous and crooked and schemers, and they do not trust each other. 
And so they hire a private detective to make sure that the other person, their partner, is not stealing from the business to fund their campaign. Mm -hmm. But in true comedic fashion, they both accidentally hire the same private detective. <laughs> and so um, so the comedy ensues uh, in, in that regard. But then um, there's also a great little like subplot there where um, the candidates sort of pledge that whichever candidate loses the mayoral race, if the other one wins, they'll make the loser the chief of police. And at one point when um, the person who loses goes to collect on this, this yeah. debt um, to become the chief of police, the person who wins says like, you know, look, if you, if you believe that, you know, you, you don't deserve to be the chief of police. You know, that was just an election promise. Um, so it's a little bit of a political satire. Yeah. Um, there is a, um, as I said before, you know, there's a suffragette character. There's a lot happening, but also the third candidate in the race is a gentleman by the name of Harry Walton, mm -hmm. who is um, trying to, uh, I guess he is engaged to sort of the, the, um, the ingenue in the play, you know, she is the, the daughter of the, the best business owner in, in this fictional town of Jimtown and he is honest and he is worthy. And, um, of course, then he loses, he loses the election because he is honest. And so, um, the song I'm just wild about Harry, which so many people are familiar with actually yeah. comes from this this show and comes from you know harry walton is the harry in question then you're just wild about harry and harry's wild about me the heavenly blisses of his kisses fill me with ecstasy ah uh, he's sweet just like chocolate candy and just like honey from a bee and you're just wild about harry It's really important, this sort of romantic subplot, too, because there was a song in the show called Love Will Find a Way, mm -hmm. which was um, a, a true musical theater, you know, ballad. And there were thoughts that white audience members would actually, like, revolt in the theater having seen this song performed on stage because, you know, prior to Shuffle Along, really black performers on stage were really just for the entertainment and edification of white audience members, but in a, in a negative way, you know, to be, to be laughed at, not to be laughed, you know, alongside with, and, um, you know, these were two people that were expressing genuine love and genuine emotion for each other. And, um, it was, it was unusual. It was kind of taboo for the time. But um, but everything, you know, went went well during performances. But um, so everything get, ends up getting tied up neatly in a bow at the end. Um, the yeah. uh, Harry Walton ends up becoming, you know, the, the rightful mayor of, of Jimtown and everything's great. But what I love about the plot of Shuffle Along, even though it's a little bit outside of the plot of Shuffle Along, is that the show always ended with a small concert by Cecil and Blake, the two musicians who wrote the score. And they would just play for about 15 or 20 minute songs from their vaudeville act. And it was just a nice little, you know, party um, mm -hmm. atmosphere. And you see that, I guess, still sort of mirror, like, again, like the Tina musical sort of ends with like that sort of, you know, encore. 
Um, but it was a great sort of way to to end the show. So it was a show with a book. It was a book musical. It did have a, an actual plot. Um, the plot was perhaps um, really more of a vehicle for different songs to be put in, but um, but there was certainly a, a, a resolution and um, a true plot to the show for sure. I was listening to that song, Love Will Find A Way. Uh, it's a, a beautiful song. And I was um, thinking, I think I heard on another podcast you're on that, um, that UB Blake was influenced by Victor Herbert. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And you can really, you know, who did, um, but yeah, so he did, uh, you know, operettas and stuff. Am I, did, am I right that he did that Babes in Toyland? Oh, you know, I think you are right. Yes, he did do Babes in Toyland. Yep. The Disney movie took a lot of music from, and that's why it, it's, you know, more people know that. But, um, but yeah, like you can, uh, you can sort of hear that in there too, which is, I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Love like ours can never be rude. Cupid's not cool that way. Try each Fate may lead us astray, my dearie, mark what I say, love will find generally functioning like more like a 1920s like what we typically think of as like a 1920s show pre pre like Oklahoma well I guess it's pre-showboat as well yeah. where kind of you know and I think that's that's um the interesting thing about shuffle longs that there are some show some songs in the show mm -hmm. that are really very specific to the musical that you know I don't think would work in um even in like a, a review or a vaudeville act like the the song the show starts with a song called election day mm -hmm. which is a great song um that really sets the scene just for this three-way mayoral race situation but also it introduces the characters it's so clever I mean my goodness Noble Sissel's lyrics are so um, witty and clever, and he's just a, a brilliant lyricist. Election day, election day. That's the day when everybody's happy. That's the day when everybody's glad. Election day, election day. That's the day when you forget all the aches and pains you've had. You gather at the election polls, and there you stand in line. Although the day be dark and cold, still you will never mind. You're thinking of the politicians whom last year you trusted, and when they got into positions, promises they busted. You try not make the same mistake this election day. Hooray, hooray, hooray. In comes Steve Jenkins' supporters, and they sing, We stand for everything that we can get. 
three-part chairs where we can lounge and sit. Working hours that stop where they begin. We know that Steve Jenkins will win. And the crowd yells back, the gang of Steve Jenkins. What a motley crowd. Such politicians should never be allowed. If he's elected, it sure will be a sin. We hope that he'll never, never win. So it's so there there are songs that are very specific to the show, even though they came out of vaudeville. Um, yeah. But then there are some songs like um, "Bandana Days" or um, "If You've Never Been Bent by a Brown Skin," which are which fit into the plot. But yeah. you can see they fit in the plot just like some ancillary character is introduced. You yeah. know, they they are brought into the story very briefly. They sing this song and then they sort of disappear again, you know? So yeah. um, so it's interesting. You can see like the musical theater um, form mm -hmm. growing and changing in Shuffle Along, yeah. but it's it's not fully baked yet. Right, right. Is the song Memories of You also from Shuffle Along? It isn't actually. And I'm so glad you asked that because it's a song that um, I think a lot of, it is a UB Blake song and it's yeah. a song that's often um, attributed to Shuffle Along. And I think the, I think because, and I'm not a hundred percent certain of, of this, but I think I'm right that in some of the subsequent revivals, mm -hmm. Memories of You might've been brought into um the show because they continued to do that like concert of, of other songs from their songbook. Yeah. Um, but Memories of You is actually from a production, um, a review of Blackbirds in, I believe, 1930. Um, and Andy Razif actually did the lyrics for that. So it's not a, a Cicel and Blake uh, number, but it's Yubi Blake and, and Razif. Got it. Got it. And um, cause yeah, but a beautiful song. My goodness. Yeah. And because it was that in the the 2016 production it I was think. in the 2016 production there is a clip of audra mcdonald singing that on youtube <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and it's it's interesting with the 2016 production because and i i'm you know it's like look it's like anything where like if you um people who've read the book any not my, my not my book the book like of anything you know like a novel or whatever like and then you see the movie and you go like oh well they changed this they changed that you know um it's interesting because the 2016 show while it is amazing for having introduced so many people to shuffle along and obviously it was just an amazingly beautiful production i mean like yeah. just like um but there are definitely like you know creative liberties that are taken it's a you know it's it's a fictionalized version of, of history and that's certainly fine and not unusual for miniseries or films or anything like that so in that particular case that would be a good example where the the timeline is a little bit played with yeah well it's good to include it because as you said it's a, it's a great song so yeah <laughs> good to have it in there regardless and it's a song people know so i mean you know why not right yeah, at Broadway prices, give people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I, I mean, we've kind of talked a lot about already about like the story of this, this show's creation. And I think a lot of that came up, I guess, when the 2016 production was being done, that kind of story started being told. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk, I guess, about what was going on during the creation of of the show in 1920. Sure. So I think one of the things that um, 
and it's it's really exciting to me that even people who have seen the 2016 production um always seem to be a little bit surprised by what was going on outside of the 63rd street theater where the show took place in terms of you know shuffle along opened one week before the tulsa race massacre Mm. um in 1921 it took place um in the aftermath of the greatest period of racialized violence in this country since the civil war because there were a number of black soldiers that went to go fight in world war one um when they came back home um there really was a lot of anti-black sentiment particularly um um, towards the people who were veterans mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they, they'd wear their uniform. They'd expect to sort of be celebrated as, as war heroes. Um, and that was not the, you know, it was, this was still America in the, you know, 1910s and 1920s. And there were lots of people who um, put black folks in their place or back in their place during this time, you know, lynchings were up. Um, you know, this was on the other side of the film, The Birth of a Nation, and, you know, the the clan was sort of expanding throughout the United States. And so it's sort of phenomenal that in this landscape, this show succeeded, um, especially since this show was also produced in the aftermath of the Spanish flu mm-hmm. pandemic in 1918 um, that shuttered theaters. You know, Broadway was dark. Um, it decimated New York's economy. It was the beginning of the Prohibition era, which also decimated New York's economy and kind of forced a lot of, um, you know, illicit or or a lot of um, activity that wasn't previously considered to be illicit then became illicit and pushed underground. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what's what's really important to point out about this time too is that you know, women were also gaining all sorts of rights and freedoms that they hadn't previously enjoyed, including like the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what's what's interesting is, yes, Shuffle Along is sort of an interesting um, amalgamation of Cecil and Blake and Miller and Lyles, these two vaudeville performer duos that came together to form this show. And they brought, you know, the sounds of uptown to downtown and things like that. That is all true, but I think it becomes even more significant and interesting when you take it out of Manhattan and you just look at what's going on in the world and say, how in the world did an all black musical succeed in this landscape? Um, It's even more significant. So this theater on 63rd street, what theater is this? (laughs) That was So so it's no longer there. It's certainly no, it was, um, so it was the 63rd street music hall actually, Uh which is a former, um, a former actually lecture hall. So it was owned by um, John court and you know, he had the Court Theater, which has since recently been renamed um, right. for James Earl Jones. But he he had that sort of flagship theater, but he also owned a number of other properties. And um, he was willing to put Shuffle Along in at 63rd Street. Now, obviously, that's outside of the proper theater district. But what made it Broadway 
was the ticket pricing and the seating capacity. Right. So, you know, um, in the same way that something like at New World Stages, you know, wouldn't be considered Broadway because of the seating capacity. Um, so it, it was a Broadway show through and through. Um, but it's it's interesting that it's a, I guess, again, when we talk about this historical memory, like even the building doesn't exist anymore. You right. know, like, you know, there, there's literally nothing, you know, you can't go back and sort of do like the walking tour of... Um, See a plaque. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's sort of it's sort of interesting in that way. What was Broadway like for black performers and writers and creators uh prior to Shuffle Along? So there was actually a really great period of time for black performers um right around the turn of the 20th century. Um, and it lasted until about 1909, 1909, 1910. Um, and certainly like the, the biggest stars, black stars of Broadway um, at that time were Williams and Walker. Mm-hmm. And they had a number of shows and they were um, well-received. They, they didn't run very long. You know, I think the longest running might've been about, I think 43 performances in, in the 40s. Um, but, you know, they, they did well and they were well-received and well-reviewed, um, in, in white publications, Mm -hmm. um, which is great. But what ended up happening was there were a number of, uh, I guess, I guess you'd say setbacks where, um, you know, Walker became very ill. Um, he ended up actually uh, dying, um, a couple of years after he retired, he was just unable to, to go on, um, performing. Um, Ernest Hogan, another Black performer, um, was, ended up dying as well. I believe he died in 1909. Mm -hmm. And so you had like the the biggest giants of this really niche, you know, you know, section of Broadway die. And ultimately, Burt Williams um, ended up kind of being scooped up by Florence Ziegfeld for his follies, mm-hmm. um, which was which was great. Although, while yes, there was then black representation in the follies, you know, he was not actually permitted to perform with any white women on stage, mm-hmm. and so um, he mostly did a solo act. And so, you know, you had this ten-year drought where there was no black shows on Broadway, just a complete absence of them. Um, some of it could be attributed also to World War One. A number of people did go overseas and fight, um, including Noble Sissel himself. You know, Noble Sissel, he wasn't, you know, the Shuffle Along hadn't happened yet. He wasn't on Broadway yet, but like, you know, he was a musician, but he went and enlisted. And so, Uh, And in fact, Miller and Lyles um, were, they had just uh, filled out their their card to enlist literally on the day that the armistice was actually announced and the war was, the war was ending. Um, What, what timing, right? Um, So, (laughs) um, so, you know, they ended up not fighting, but they, they were, you know, ready to as well. And so it's, it's interesting because after Shuffle Along, there was just this great explosion of all black musicals on Broadway. Um, most of them 
by white producers or white book writers, um, in some cases, even um, white composers, but, uh, but also a lot of them not a lot of them actually with black book writers and composers and things like that. So the, you know, the 1920s, you know, the, the book is called when Broadway was black because it's yeah. not just shuffle along, you know, there really was this great period in the 1920s where um, so much of Broadway was black. And in fact, in the 1922 production of Ziegfeld's Follies, there was a song that was a part of that review called it's getting dark on old Broadway. And it was lamenting, actually, it was criticizing and complaining about how many Black shows were on Broadway now and how the face wow. of Broadway literally was changing because of shows like Shuffle Along. Um, so it, it really was quite a, a period of time, so much so that Langston Hughes actually credits Shuffle Along with kickstarting the Harlem Renaissance yeah. and bringing Black artists to New York not just theater performers, but also just people that were into the arts came to New York to see Shuffle Along and to be a part of this community that was being created by Shuffle Along. And then they just stayed hmm. and ended up kind of, you know, building this renaissance in Harlem. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I guess that leads to then like the the legacy of, of Shuffle Along, which we've talked about. I think the the biggest bit of the legacy of Shuffle Along is um, it was the first Broadway show to really have like a syncopated score. Mm -hmm. um, I think so much of not just the look, but also the sound of Broadway really was forever changed by Shuffle Along. Mm -hmm. um, it was a show that really introduced a woman's performing chorus not just women sort of being ornamentation on stage or parading around in beautiful right. costumes. Right. Um, but they were singing, they were dancing, they were, you know, playing minor characters and things like that. And that was really new. In fact, um, Noble Sissel said much later in his life that that's actually the way that he would like to be remembered most. And actually is that bringing, bringing women to the Broadway stage in a in a, a way that was sort of dignified and refined and got to celebrate their talents. Um, there, it, it's a show that, you know, provided so much work for black artists. And, you know, um, obviously if we are to agree with Langston Hughes, then, you know, not just Broadway, but, you know, poetry and writing and, you know, um, visual art and things like that coming out of what the show started. And, and also there's so many notable alumni that were a part of this show, including a teenage Josephine Baker, mm -hmm. who went on to have, you know, a, a world renowned career. Um, but her first professional gig was Shuffle Along. So, um, you know, and that's not just Josephine Baker, it's Adelaide Hall, it's, um, you know, Paul Robeson was in the show for a period of time, he was a replacement, you know, it was just a really interesting watershed moment. And, um, uh, something that I wish so many, particularly Black um, young people that are going to school to be performers or dream of being on Broadway, you know, know knew that this show existed. I think there is, um, you can't put a price on being able to listen to a soundtrack 
um, or, or original cast recording of a show and know that that is a show written for someone who looks like you. Right, right. Um, and and some people are afforded that and, and a lot of people aren't. Mm-hmm. And um, it's phenomenal that this show was as big as it was a hundred years ago, a hundred plus years ago at this point. Um, and yet there are so many people, I mean, even, you know, Audrey McDonald said that before Dorsey Wolf came to her about the show, she, she had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that, that sentiment was repeated by many of the, the people that were a part of the 2016 show. Oh. Um, and Audra's Audra, you know, that's not a <laughs> knock on her. It's a knock on, it's a knock on, you know, the way that you know the shows that we uplift and celebrate and remember mm-hmm. and say are important and worthy of remembering and worthy of being included in the musical theater songbook mm-hmm. um and shows that we marginalize and and push to you know kind of the footnotes of theater history and um yeah and i so i think the, the legacy of shuffle long is complicated but i yeah. think i think in a lot of ways it's still being written mm-hmm. and to me that's really kind of exciting yeah there have been these sort of moments throughout history where shuffle along has been sort of celebrated i mean you know there was a a, a review of, of ub blake's music you know um that that gregory hines was in um and in fact everyone you know Cecil and blake um were nominated noble Cecil posthumously but um, UB Blake was still alive at the time, nominated for a Tony for, mm-hmm. for that review. Um, but again, it's, they just, it just keeps kind of getting forgotten. You know, it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like, like a, like a curse in some sort of strange way. Um, yeah. but, but hopefully I, I feel hopeful that, um, mm-hmm. that people will, will remember it and that there will be these moments, whether it's, whether it's my book, whether it's, you know, uh, another revival, whether it's, you know, who knows what, but um, that this story will continue to be told and introduced to new people over and over again. So there have been these attempts and not just attempts, these um, efforts to preserve the history. But what I would really love is, you know, get, a bunch of people in a studio and and sing these songs um you know and really archive it in a in a proper full way especially since you know people have gone through and the full orchestrations have been you know published they've been recreated you know you can you can access this now in a way that you couldn't even 10 years ago um it would be a great a great project for someone to to undertake Again, I keep going. I keep going back to this this historical <laughs> memory thing, but like that's that's the way these things live, and not just um, not just on Broadway, but like you know, you want people to to be doing cover versions on YouTube. You want people to be you like you know it, it it has to sort of get into the the zeitgeist a little bit. But yeah. um, but I am I am seeing a little bit more of that, and I think that 2016 production did so much to help that. In fact, actually, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug here as I'm realizing this is a great time, but um, actually on May 22nd, mm-hmm. um, I'm directing and producing 54 Below Sing Shuffle Along. Oh, nice. Um, so 
um, you know, assembling a great group of people for this concert version. And again, just it's it's you know it's one night, it's two performances, but it's an, hopefully another opportunity to to bring these songs to life again. Great. Should we move on to um, the why is this so good section? Sure. Oh my goodness, the section that gave me gave me such anxiety. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we we settled on, uh, it's called Skid Row, parentheses, downtown, or is it downtown, parentheses, Skid Row? I always get this. I actually think, you know, I, now I'm wondering, now I'm feeling, I always thought it was Skid Row, parentheses, downtown, but now I'm sorry. I think it's Skid Row, parentheses, downtown. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, no, I think I just, I'm bringing up the lyrics now, and, and that, that came up, Skid Row, parentheses, downtown. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? So there are a couple of reasons. First of all, I love Little Shop of Horrors. And mm -hmm. I think Little Shop of Horrors is an interesting show where I think most people really love it. Mm -hmm. But I think in my mind, maybe I'm wrong here. I would love to get your opinion on this. But I think that like it's a show that people love but it's kind of viewed as like a, a like a Broadway show with an asterisk. And I think maybe it's because it didn't actually arrive on Broadway until such a long time after, you know, mm -hmm. it's amazing off-Broadway run and the film and all of that. Um, so like Little Shop of Horrors to me is a show that is both so celebrated and yet also kind of like underappreciated. <laughs> in a sort of way. So when I was thinking about songs that really, um, that I think are great musical theater songs, I, I had other songs that came to mind. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this opportunity to sort of like, just for a bit, like sing the praises of Little Shop of Horrors mm. as, a, as a musical. Yeah. Um, so, but Skid Row, um, I think why I love it so much is you get such character through this song. And I love that, you know, Seymour's section is great. Um, you get like the great like duet at the end. But yeah. I think um, for me, what really amplifies this to a great song is actually the ensemble like the way that the ensemble really i think dominate this number like it's it's seymour and audrey's song but it's also more like crystal Ronette and chiffon song in the beginning and then you know you have sort of like the you know the the homeless folks you know they come in with such great backing vocals Till it's five free 
It's, it's a number that is, uh, in a way, it is hopeful, mm. like we were discussing before about so much of Hello, Dolly, but it is also a song that is depressing right? and, 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 and sort of points to a lack of hope. And I think it's a song that I think from a narrative standpoint, I love it because if you are, if it is your first time seeing Little Shop of Horrors, it is a song that sets you up for a happy ending. Mm. You know, you know that they are going to succeed because how can't they succeed? This is the, <laughs> it's the second song of the show and they're singing with their full hearts and the lyrics are so beautiful and, and, you know, it, it, they're just going to have a happy ending and Seymour and Audrey are going to, you know, they're going to get out. And um, and they don't. <laughs> and so, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen Little Shop of Horrors, um, who hasn't seen it on stage, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's that's why I love this song, and I love um, the way this song supports the story and what it does to the audience's experience of this story. Mm-hmm. I- yeah, I love what you say about that there there's like this hope in the song, even though it's like that's so much of like a hopeless song what they're singing about, but like the hope is like in there because it's yeah, it's so early in the show that like they have nowhere to go but up. But yeah. that's not what happens. They actually go farther down. I don't think I've ever had this this thought before until we started talking about it, but like this is so um so much earlier like 15 years earlier than like rent right mm-hmm. and like you know they're they're very different shows but i think this song puts in this show puts such um humanity into people that no one or that few people maybe would care about like in real life you know what mm-hmm. i mean like these are people that you you know, that you walk past or that, you know, you, maybe you, you clutch your bag and you cross the street or something like that, you know, like these are just like, even, you know, even Seymour and Audrey who aren't, you know, homeless or, 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 you know, maybe seemingly there are characters that are more destitute than they are seemingly, but what's Audrey's lot in life? What's Seymour's lot in life? I mean, you know, like, yeah, they have like employment and they have like a roof over their head, but I mean, like, my goodness, I mean, they have, they're really kind of down and out too. And I think that this, the lyrics um, speak so much to a sense of like the inevitability of despair you know, or something like that. You know, that like the line that's like jumping out of my mind is like, you know, where depression's just status quo, you right. know, it's just like, it's just like, that's just the way it is. And people, um there's that great line in fences where rose says to troy like you know sometimes people don't know that they can do any better you mm-hmm. know and and i feel like this is a song where um whether it's the ensemble bits whether it's you know seymour's part or audrey's part or you know the urchins like i feel like there's 
this acknowledgement that they are stuck where they are mm-hmm. and they they can dream but eventually they just sort of wake up and they are stuck where they are still you know that's your home address you live when your life's a mess you live where depression's just status quo someone show me a way to get out of here I constantly pray I'll get out of here Please won't somebody say I'll get out of here Someone give me my shot Or I'll rot here Show me how and I will I'll get out of here I'll start climbing uphill And get out of here Someone tell me I still could get out of here Someone tell Lady Luck That I'm stuck here well to get out of here bid the gutter farewell and get out of here I need heaven and hell to get out of skin I do I don't know what to get out of skin but a hell of a lot to get out of skin people tell me there's not a way out of skin but believe me I gotta get out of skin So, so I, I guess I, I brought up Rent as sort of like Rent obviously does does that, you know, as well with, you know, obviously not just their depiction of like homeless, but also people with like, you know, illness and, you know, and things like that. And, not, you know, just people that are stigmatized in society for a number yeah. of different reasons. Um, but I love that Little Shop is doing it in a song that is, that has such gravity in a show that presents as kind of a a fun you know dark musical you know that sort of thing yeah and I love how Ashman is a lyricist he just he he's such a good lyricist and then he'll just get to a point where he just says like exactly what like it suddenly becomes like super literal like I want to get out of here and I'm going to keep saying I want to get out of here over and over again and like that that's it that's what that's that's what it is we want to get out of here yeah yeah (laughs) It's um it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant show and it's um and it's a show that like I kind of like we were talking about the the question about um you know what's a show that you you love that no one has seen mm-hmm. um you know it's a it's a situation where like gosh I can't imagine what it must have been like to see this show in 1981 off Broadway like I mean like it's obviously, you know, I'm, I'm of an age where Little Shop was already Little Shop by the time I was aware right. of it. But like for this yeah. show to just be this this new musical based on uh, a low budget film from 1960 and to have it be as good as it as it is like, wow. I mean, those people must have been in for such an amazing treat. You know, when this I know. It's like, yeah, like what shows would you love to go back in time and, and see? This would be a great one. Well, let's uh, move on to the last section, something wonderful, just something in the musical theater world uh, that we want to, uh, you know, give a shout out to, something we're excited about. Um, Of course, there's your book 
coming out. Uh, or being, you know, coming out again and, uh, and your concert that, you know, we've already mentioned, but anything else uh, you want to shout out? I think I'm just really excited about um, this period for the musical, you know, um, I'm, I'm excited for, and I guess sort of like a macro level answer, but I'm excited that we're getting the color purple on screen. I'm excited that we're getting Wicked on screen. I, I really loved um, Spielberg's West Side Story. You know, I, I, I'm just excited that I haven't. I, this is like heresy. I haven't seen Matilda yet, um, <laughs> but I will. I will. For a period of time, it seemed like the musical, um, in the greater public consciousness was mm-hmm. sort of on the wane. You know, it kind of like became this very sort of like New York centric, you know, uh, exclusive thing a little bit for a period of time. And I think um, Hamilton has done a lot to to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not just Hamilton, you know, and I'm excited that 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 moment is coinciding with this moment for greater representation and not just, you know, racial representation, but also, you know, LGBTQIA individual creators, you know, women creators, women directors, writers, you know, like that, that the, the doors are widening for these storytellers. And, um, and as a result, we're getting, I think, like a cast of the Wicked film that looks fundamentally different than if they had made this film 10 years ago. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Follow on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scenetosong.substack.com and contribute to our Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>